Welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint. Start designing your next adventure. Welcome, everybody, and thank you for joining us on another Travel Around Table podcast episode where we discuss the beautiful diversity of our planet. If this is your first time tuning into the show, welcome. If you are a reoccurring guest, thank you. I'm sorry. A reoccurring listener, thank you. So before we get started, I do want to bring to your attention, if you are in the travel industry in any way and are interested in joining the Travel Around Table podcast for a future episode, please reach out to us at thetravelersblueprint at gmail.com and we will add you to the guest list for future episodes. Before we dive into the topic today, I'm going to take one minute to introduce each of our panel members. They're going to tell us where they're located, how they're involved in the travel community, and where you can find them online to follow them. So, Leah, why don't we get started with you? Sure. Thanks, guys. It's good to be back. My name is Leah. I'm based in Los Angeles. I am a virtual event host and event leader for the Nomadic Network, and I also co-created and co-host Ticket to Anywhere podcast. Thank you. Yeah, and this is as we we talked about before we came online. Uh, this this is your third one, so yeah. welcome back. <laughs> yeah, Tasha. Yeah, well, it's, I'm happy to be back. I haven't done this type of a panel discussion, but it's nice to see you guys again. Um, I am in Barcelona, Spain. I'm originally from the United States, from the Philadelphia, Pennsylvania area, and um, I am a reporter and a writer. And I've been focusing on the topic of sustainability, sustainable development, and I've created my own series called Evidence of Hope. And it's a it's documenting people around the world who are addressing these huge global challenges with beautiful solutions. And you are more than welcome to watch and uh, follow along. You can see evidenceofhope.com or you can follow me on social media, Tasha Goldberg. Yeah, and, and Tasha, when you came on our podcast, we ended up finding out that we're located just a few towns apart, which was yeah. pretty, pretty crazy. So that was really funny. Uh, Amanda. Oh, hi, everyone. I am over here or down here in Perth, Western Australia. So it's very early in the morning here. I am uh, mostly a podcaster at the Thoughtful Travel podcast, and I still blog at notaballerina.com as well. Um, so I like to think and talk about all things thoughtful travel. And very soon I'm launching a kids travel podcast with my 10-year-old, which is called Taking Off. So um, we are all about the all about the good parts of travel and what we can learn from them and as well as how fun it is. Yeah, thank you. And Ian. Hey guys, uh, good to be with you all. So yeah, I'm Ian and I'm a travel videographer, frequent flyer. Uh, last year I hosted a web series for uh, The Points Guy and traveled all around using airline miles to uh, fund some pretty wild adventures. Um, I'm also host of a recently launched podcast called Up in the Air, and um, that pretty much sums me up. So yeah, I'm here in San Diego, California, and this year's been rough for all of us in the travel world. Uh, haven't been out of haven't been out of the country since um, February, but uh, you know, happy to be healthy and glad that all, the same is true for my family. So yeah, first yeah, world problems. Yes. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. That's well. That's what I keep coming back to. So far, other than be, not being able to travel the world, 
I haven't been impacted too much. And that's what I, you know, you have to just keep reminding yourself. It's how bad is it really when the worst thing is, you know, you can travel to go to Italy or whatever it may be. But uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you all for joining us. Uh, Ian, welcome to the podcast world. Uh, congratulations on starting a podcast. This thank you. podcasting has been really what has kept us kept our wanderlust at bay, I guess, so to speak. Being able to do these podcasts and speak on travel so often allows us to sort of, you know, feel like you're at least getting something related to travel. So, yeah, welcome. You're still getting a taste of those uh, unique experiences. And that was really the big impetus for why I wanted to start one, just because I missed, missed that. And having been able to speak with so many people and hear their experiences, uh, I see a lot of nods around here, has been uh, a little, you know, fulfilling in the same way. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, I think it might be the next best thing really in, in a lot of ways. So, so today's topic is an interesting one. It's a good one. And it's something that we all strive to achieve and it's travel etiquette. And there is a lot to unravel when it comes to travel etiquette, because I think once you, you know, that's sort of a very broad term and then you can go down multiple avenues of what that actually means. So before we get into travel etiquette, I kind of want to define it and Amanda, I think I'm going to call call you out on this one, you know, running the Thoughtful Travel podcast. Uh, what does travel etiquette mean to you? Well, I think it's a great and important question. So I, mean, I think basically having good travel etiquette is about being mindful of the norms and the habits and the customs of your destination and making sure that you don't clash with these too badly. So I think if you have... Um, if you have good travel etiquette, then you have at least made a good effort to understand how things work culturally and, you know, typical customs and habits in your destination. And we will never get it perfectly right. Uh, but I think having the right intention and trying and learning um, and, you know, having that for, for, you know, quite in the forefront of your mind when you are in a, especially in a brand new to you culture that you are trying to quote unquote, do the right thing by the locals, then I think you can consider you have good travel etiquette. Yeah, I agree. I think like step one is usually research and just in know where you're going and the people who occupy the land that you're visiting and at least have the basics down, right? Like don't go in completely blind. And then once you're there, I, I mean, it's, it's funny. And I was talking to Elliot about this before we jumped on today. It's, it is hard and you can be a considerate person and go in with the best intentions and still mess up like Amanda you just said and there there was a time when I visited Peru and it was the next morning so we got there very late at night I think it was like 10 p.m. or something we essentially had to go there we grabbed a few beers and we went to bed because we were just exhausted from traveling all day the next morning we woke up we rolled out of bed we were in downtown Lima in the Miraflores section, I believe. And we went into uh, a cafe and I just walked up and I started speaking English and I just forgot. And I, I and I, I felt so rude. And it's it was not like, you know, Spanish. I don't know Spanish, but, but I would have at least, I would have at least made an attempt and I could say, I could say a few words, but I just, you know, Hey, excuse me, let me get a coffee, please. And it was just like, you know, and then I, I looked at their face and I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm, I'm in Peru. I'm not in Philadelphia and I can't, I can't speak like that. And I felt really bad because obviously my intentions weren't there, but how many American travelers do that and expect that? And so I, I, I'm sure I looked <laughs> 
like a jerk to them, maybe, but uh, no, you, you know. look like an American. Yeah, I, I'm <laughs> sure it wasn't the first time. Did you forget Literally. that you were in that you woke up in Lima? No, no, it's not that I forgot. I, I don't know. I was just maybe in thought. I don't know. I don't know. Oh. And then as soon as it came out of my mouth, yeah. To be to be fair, you were walking around with two other American guys. And we were all talking English while we were walking around Lima in the morning trying to find a place to get breakfast. And then, yeah, you were the first one to order. So you're just like, I'll have a coffee. <laughs> to me, I'm sure I, you've I, never I... forgotten again, Bob. <laughs> it still haunts me. <laughs> <laughs> See? So that's the thing. You have the right intention. That's, I think, often the best we can do. <laughs> right. When we, when we travel so much, at least domestically, um, I th I'm in like two very different modes when I, when I leave the country versus when I travel domestically. And I think particularly in like the frequent business travel community, there's this kind of pervasive notion. Uh, it's kind of like a know-it-all kind of traveler. But I think when you travel internationally, you really have to be a sponge and you have to start with the base assumption that you know nothing and that you're not right about everything and expect that kind of along the way, each thing you encounter, you're going to have to learn. Uh, and instead of having the expectation of how it should go. So that those are the kind of like the two different mindsets I that I approach domestic and international travel with. And certainly some areas of the country in the US, you know, still, you need to be a bit sponge like. But um, in general, I do think like, that's the major difference for me, uh, is just not starting with that assumption that you you know how things should go. Yeah, I really like that. I, the The fact that being a sponge is probably the first step in being travel etiquette savvy. I would yeah. add to that maybe something about what you feel like you have. That there's an etiquette and what you feel like you have access to. You know, it's easy to sort of go in and, and feel like... <clears throat> I'm here and I want to know everything. Like, I, you know, tell me your recipes and where did your grandmother, you know, where was it? And, and sometimes it's like not appropriate. And so that's another layer of finding the ways that are, are sort of polite. So like for me, I always, I travel and I, I collect records and music is sort of something that people make to share. So it's like an appropriate place to be curious and, where the doors are sort of already open. It's not, you know, asking for something that's really deep and private, intimate, and it gives you a chance to start to build some relationships. Yeah, I think that's very important to consider. And, you know, obviously I'm an American and all of my, my, my major experiences are here, but I, I realized traveling around that a lot of the cultural norms, the, the conversations we have, the things we ask one another are not typical in other nations, even the way we greet each other and certain body language is not typical. And so I do think it's important to make sure that you at least spend a little bit of time in your travel planning, considering cultural norms, as much as you consider, you know, how long it's going to take to get from the Colosseum to the Vatican, you need to understand the certain cultural norms, just as important. Uh, a major thing that I realized is, you know, in the United States, it's very common to discuss what you do for a living. But it's not at all acceptable to get into how much you make. Whereas other countries, that's really not, you don't get into what you do as a living. It's almost seen, it's seen as a, a, an odd question. 
it doesn't define you like it does in the United States. And I mean, that's just one example. I, uh, Amanda, is that correct with Australia? That does that come up as one of the major things? I know in the United States, when you meet somebody, it's probably in the first like five questions. Hey, what for a living? If yeah, I mean, it he, we would, yeah, he would say, yeah, well, what do you do? Um, and the intention yeah. is mostly that that's going to be, yeah, what's your career? So I would like to think that that wasn't the case, but I think it's still, yeah, pretty, still is. But we also don't talk about money. So it's, uh, we're very heavily influenced by American culture these days. So. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. For good or for bad. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Deathly silence. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it, and I, I can't remember now which culture I'm thinking of because they thought it was a Western culture that did not did not view occupation uh, as seriously as we do, where it was more, you know, you, you introduce yourself to somebody and it's, what do you do for fun? Uh, what is your passion? Hmm. You know, right. what about your family? And that's sort of how you define yourself to that person in that moment, whereas it's very immediate, you know. It, what do you do is essentially like how much money do you make really yeah. or at least it's it, a status it, it, question it, it puts how can you, I judge yeah, you? <laughs> exactly it, it definitely identifies you in a certain class yeah right it's very so, american <laughs> wanting yeah. to know what class you're in and if you're better than me okay. i think that all... there's a lot of places that also ask like not american but maybe like well hawaii is american i spent a lot of my life living there and it was about your family like who who where are you from like what part of the island are you from what what's your anchor you know and it's a little different when you're traveling um but in maybe more traditional or village or indigenous cultures i think that that question comes up more than what you do because what you do is you survive and enjoy your life you know like <laughs> yeah well, since I heard that, and I need to go back and find which culture actually does not prioritize occupation because I'm curious. But it's since I heard that, though. yeah. Well, since I heard that, I was like, "That's a great idea." If I'm mm. at a party and I'm meeting somebody new, I'm gonna see how long I can avoid asking that question. Yes. And ask about their interests, you know, anything else, like anything else, um, and see how it goes and try it because I'm really curious to gauge gauge a relationship or start a relationship that way i so, would wager the top five countries in the gross national happiness index do not ask that question <laughs> yeah that would be interesting right. yeah but i also i also think that when you're traveling or at least half the people i meet when i'm traveling have just quit their job or they're on a career break <laughs> so they end up saying i'm not i'm not doing anything i'm trapped this is what i'm doing right now i'm traveling so it's kind of like a useless question if I'm meeting people and I'm like, oh, well, it doesn't matter what you do because you could go home and do something different from what I just asked you. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Bob, yeah. I do that same thing at parties now ever since like my little around the world romp. I'm like, okay, don't ask people what they do because I've stopped defining for myself what I do, like what company my name is tied to, right? And more of what am I passionate about? So why wouldn't I want to know that about others? Right. Right. I agree. Yeah, I like it. Um, all right. So we kind of established what, what travel etiquette is, and it's essentially to consider the culture, really, is what it is before you go. Uh, does anybody have, besides your own platform, resources that you may recommend or ways that you can learn about a country prior to your departure? Are there any, is there anything specific? Tasha, you're nodding your head. 
Yeah, I mean, I I definitely like I love this part. I mean, when I know where I'm going, I love that part of exploring and I like to go about it like looking at different sort of angles. So like I want to read literature and mythology and listen to the music and look at what's going on in the newspapers. I think that something that's like always been fun for me is like when you're traveling you know, a lot of times you have to go through a couple of different airports to get somewhere, especially if you're going somewhere really remote. And it's always interesting to look at how, you know, maybe the New York Times and then, you know, the newspapers in London or wherever you're passing through, like how they're telling the same stories about where you're going, you know, it it sort of gives you this perspective about um, everyone's talking about the same thing, but differently in their own way. So I, but I, I do think that um, literature, the arts, basically, I think that the arts are always a really beautiful way to connect to a place because it's, it's a, it's a, it's a special voice, you know, it's kind of, um, it's personal. It's not like you take it and you say, this is exactly how it is here, but you started to get a social context and a feeling about where you're going to be traveling. That's really interesting. Yeah, I, I look to foreign publications for my news now, just to mm. see, just to draw <laughs> my own conclusion from someone outside of the U.S. Tr- essentially, to try to avoid bias. Uh, I never thought to, I never thought to do that to get an idea or or grasp the general consensus of what's going on in that country. That's that's an interesting way to do it. Yeah. Huh. I think field guides yeah. are usually really good because, right, they typically have, they have like the basics one. of each country that you want to go to. And it's not like a complete, this is everything you need to know. It's, this is what you should know to pass through and, you know, live on a daily basis. Like a few phrases, knowing the currency, knowing the exchange rates, knowing, you know, dress code and simple greetings. Field guides pretty much have all of that without going into too much detail. There's Frommers. Go ahead. Like a Frommers, Frommers. I think what's the other one? Falcon? Lonely Planet. Lonely Planet. I recently, I was just going to say, I recently read a Lonely Planet guide on some, uh, on some Central American um, locations. And I was actually, I mean, obviously this information is also online, but it's, it's, the, the information is very succinct in those guides and it's very helpful. But I think, um, kind of a more modern take on that is there are so many travel podcasts now that if you were to just literally search for the destination you're going to, I guarantee you, you could find probably a minimum of half a dozen great podcasts on that location. If not, you know, a dozen or two dozen, uh, there's so many now, but particularly if it's a, if it's a popular destination and, you know, to hear in depth someone's experience and the kind of uh, cultures that they adhered to. I mean, I think that's pretty much all you need to know. Hopefully. Yeah. yeah I, I, I think podcasts are a great way to learn. Obviously I I'm biased. I have a podcast, but the reason <laughs> I have, the reason I have a podcast is because I already, I already was using them, you know, for, for information right. and yeah, it allows you to typically you get a, a critical discussion in, on whatever, you know, you're, that the topic of that podcast is you can listen to different opinions you can listen to people go through their experiences and 
while you can get that same information in a blog, there's just something that I prefer to actually hearing someone go through it. You can get a better feel for maybe their emotions and things like that. It just feels more personal. Mm -hmm. That's why I enjoy podcasts so much. So yeah, that's a great, a great point. And for people who may not know this, but you can, you can search for podcasts by topic. You know, if you're going to Machu Picchu, you can simply type Machu Picchu into the search bar and you'll get every episode from every travel podcast related to Machu Picchu. You don't need to find a travel podcast and then search for a specific country. It's actually very easy to find very specific topics that way. Yeah. And, and I think also just one more note on that, you know, you can read like, okay, in Sri Lanka, uh, it's very, um, it's, it's perfectly acceptable to eat with your hands. Um, but if you actually listen to a podcast where someone kind of uh, recounts their experience of eating a meal with their hands, you can get a better sense for, okay, in what circumstance should I make sure I'm eating with my hands or in what circumstance it would be completely fine to eat with a fork if you prefer to do that. So I think the, the emotion uh, that you can get from actually listening to a conversation and kind of hearing the, just the inflection in someone's voice uh, kind of gives you a little bit more than you would get from reading uh, a resource that, about the same thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So can we get into some specifics of like, what are the typical travel etiquette pieces that you will experience in every single country, right? Like the one I think of first and foremost is language and just being able to say hello the right way. It's so important to know a handful of words. Like that's all you need to make a massive difference. And I'm always mm. surprised when people don't, you know, try, even if it is literally just hello and thank you. But even that just shows a level of respect to the local um, language and local people that, you know, I think it's like es absolutely essential to at least have that level of, um, of language basics. And, you know, it's easy these days. There's a million apps or websites or whatever podcasts so you can learn um, a few words of a language. I mean, the more the better. Yeah. But at well, least if you can, like like Bob says, when you walk into the coffee shop, you don't say, uh, you start, don't start off with, hello, you know, I'd like a coffee. You start off with you know, <laughs> the local language, good morning, you know, just that. It just breaks down that barrier. Poor Bob, we're like, don't worry, we're just shaving you. Sorry, okay. yeah, I he knew what he was getting himself, himself into. Oh. I deserve it. Yeah. yeah. And, and something I want to add, if, if anybody knows what it's like to want someone to be able to at least communicate a little bit, uh, in their language. It's Americans. They can't stand when people travel here and can't speak English. It's insane. Uh, craziest double like, standard. It's, it's yeah, the I craziest. Know. It's, and they're the ones who then go to other countries and, exp and I'm like speaking like I'm not an American, but <laughs> <laughs> we're the ones who, 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 who then portray that in other countries and get angry when we can't communicate over there without making any conscious effort to do so. So, yeah, a, a similar thing with language and the just saying hi or bye is knowing that there are different phrases in that local culture, right? Americans have, we say hi, we say hello, we say what's up. We have probably 10 to 12 different ways of saying or greeting someone. Yeah. And there are just as many in many other languages. And having that, that repertoire of different greetings can make you appear, you may not be... <laughs> You may not be a local, but you'll appear more like a local and that you are trying to do more than just pass through. It can or to learn how to say, though, like, it's cool. Yes. Oh, sorry. Yeah. No, go, Tasha. Yeah. yeah. I was just like, you know, like, if you can say, like, that's cool or something, like, you know, like a slang word of some sort, 
then like you you know kids love that mm-hmm. yeah. you know like they're and, it's like yep. funny like they're yeah. probably like laughing at you but they also it's like an icebreaker yeah amanda what were you saying i was just gonna say that it is um it can be tricky sometimes i remember last year last year still yeah when i was in in denmark and um because i speak german i'd picked up quite a bit of danish but really just greetings and stuff but i i guess my accent was decent enough and everywhere we went i would greet in, in danish and say a couple of phrases but then uh, they assumed i could speak <laughs> danish fluently and it goes blah, 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 and it's long and i was like oh i'm so sorry i don't understand <laughs> is, I, I almost felt like it's more awkward than than not so then i tried to greet greetings in danish but with a worse accent so that they could tell i was because <laughs> because then i felt uncomfortable for them because they'd said all this stuff that i couldn't understand and so it was you know it's it to me it's all about trying to fit in but make the local people comfortable as well and of course in denmark everyone speaks english so there's no yeah. i don't think they're offended by having to speak english to me um but yeah but i want to start with some <laughs> danish it was it was quite tricky to know where where to pitch my danish quote unquote <laughs> there's certain places too where they like relish the opportunity to try to speak english and um they really appreciate uh, actually if you're like willing to have a conversation with them mm-hmm. just so they can kind of practice uh i ran into that in uh, doha in qatar um where i mean a vast vast majority of people do speak english already because they're uh, I don't know what the actual percentage is, but a, a staggering percentage of people that live in Doha are not from Qatar. Um, and so just by, by as, as a, you know, um, attributed to that fact that you kind of have a lot of people who need to learn another language, but um, yeah, even a couple of Qatari people were like, Oh, you're American. I'd love to like talk to you in English. Um, yeah. And it was, yeah, it was really fun. Bob and I ran into that when we were in Peru. Uh, one of our drivers going from a few of the villages in the Inca Valley, they I could speak some Spanish, so they were able to ask me a few questions. And then we actually had basically translating sessions, and we were teaching each other. I was teaching him English. He was teaching me better Spanish. And it was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. But you're right. It does happen more often than not, especially when you know a second or third language. Yeah, I'll never forget the Swedish hello. Hey, hey, that's it. Mm. <laughs> so pleasant. Hey, hey. Yeah. I like it in Slovak and Czech and stuff. It's ahoy, which I think is kind of cool. It's a, yeah, it's like oh, pirate-ish. No yeah. <laughs> All day, ahoy, ahoy, ahoy. I don't know if I could I get it. used to that. Yeah. Oh, you do, you do, I promise. All right, all right. All right, so, so language is a big one. Want to move on to food? Yes. Let's move on to food. So, also, I'm very hungry right now, so this is going to be... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. food is, yeah, food is a very big a big one. I, I actually was a vegetarian. I was born a vegetarian, raised a vegetarian. And, um, like, food is something that is, like, you know, it, if somebody is, like, offering to, like, cook for you in their home, it, it, it felt mm-hmm. to me like I needed to just be able to say yes instead of being like actually can you steam some broccoli for me you know like it just was a little too like so i started eating meat and um my very first meat experience was pretty intense should i tell you guys about that yes Yes. (laughs) i don't think we learned about this on the on your episode Mm. I just really want us to like commit to like not judging me right now. Okay. <laughs> no judgment. This <laughs> is judgment free zone. Yeah. Yes. Okay. yes. So I was, um, 
you know, so I was working and traveling back and forth um, to China. I was doing a project in China and I was working with a community and, you know, it was a lot of this like trust building that was happening. Like I would go and come back and like, I really wanted to connect with them because I was talking to them about their challenges and trying to create sustainability projects that weren't like, you know, projecting what I think they should do, but actually helping them. And so there was this day after a couple of visits that um, I they like I was invited for lunch and I was kind of like, yay, you know, like, okay. And I, I saw the fire, you know, getting started and I saw this man on a bicycle with two big baskets full of puppies. And I was like, well, I really <gasps> hope that that's for something not, lunch and <laughs> it was lunch and it was just Oof. a really like I just like in that moment I just I had like I had already like prepared myself that I was not going to be too picky and I was thinking that was going to be like chicken you know <laughs> not puppy and so yeah like I you know watched the whole thing happen and you know it was a huge knife and all these like puppies getting killed and then cooking it and and then we ate it so you know that's how polite and good etiquette i am is that i ate puppy for my first 10 out of 10 there is no judgment especially (laughs) watching it yeah exactly exactly so like you know there's like if we can separate and be like we you know package something that you just like buy at a store and you don't really have an association but like I definitely like had the whole experience. And I mean, I didn't go back for seconds, you know, to be clear, Uh, but I like, you know, wanted, I didn't, I didn't want to be like, you know, give them the impression that what they were eating was like disgusting to me, or I don't want to judge them. And, you know, the puppies aren't pets there. They're, they're, they're like, you know, what maybe pigs are like in certain parts of the world. Like it's just a different, you know, connection or relationship with like what is a pet and what is food. And so, yeah, so what that was taste like, well, the thing is, I didn't really, I don't really have a good answer because it was like, it was just meat, you know, like the, it wasn't like tofu, you know, like it was, I didn't, it, I don't have any, I didn't oh, yeah, at didn't that have point have like a, it's true. Yeah. a reference and, and it wasn't, it wasn't bad to be honest. Um, you know, I was with two guys who were the He's video, the videographers. And- <laughs> yeah, totally. it, and they, they were like, they were enjoying it. And I, like, I, I had my serving to be polite, but yeah, like there's been a lot of, um, you know, really interesting foods that I've had because I was, you know, in, in creating trust and intimacy and that people were offering me, you know, food. But I think that, you know, in the end, I never regretted it. And I, I feel like it, it never made me sick. And, and, you know, the things that I feel like I've gotten sick from eating abroad are not what people have cooked me in their homes. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's these things were made with love and it's shared with love and eaten with love. So I really like this you. topic because I've <laughs> always wondered about individuals that have by choice dietary restrictions because obviously celiac disease, mm. you, you just can't eat gluten, but choosing to be vegetarian, choosing to be vegan while traveling is often right. puts you in p- precarious positions, especially when 
A, you may not know what the food you're getting at a restaurant is, but B, if you're having a, one of those in-home experiences like Tasha had and you want to be polite and you want to be courteous to them, do you forego your last, in Tasha's case, what was it, 25 years of being vegetarian? I was even, I was older than that. I think I was like probably, but yeah, basically, you know, like it was, it was like, I, I remember afterwards, like there was a cute t-shirt and I was shopping with my sister and it was like, something like hug me I'm I'm a vegetarian and she's like but you're not and I was like oh my god I'm not, I'm not a vegetarian the shame you know do you I had a similar now? experience so are you I I I like I don't buy a lot of meat but I do eat meat like I it sort of started me I also lived in Hawaii for a really long time and so I started eating fish when I was in Hawaii and, you know, it was a similar situation where I lived in a neighborhood where there was a family that was a fisherman and it was like a community experience to like share food together. And yeah, like, because normally not this year, but normally I'm on the road all the time. So I have learned to value like experiencing a culture through the culinary, I, you know, part of what what's going on there and tasting things and just being a lot more relaxed. But like when I'm home, I'm, um, like I don't usually like go to the store and buy a steak you yeah. know what I mean I apologize Amanda yeah. I cut you off no 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 that's okay I'm, I'm similar I grew up vegetarian and I don't really like it, eating meat in general mm -hmm. but the same when I travel um, if it's given to me then I do try and eat it I had a um, so especially like a large piece of meat I really really struggle with and when I was living in Japan I had these very dear friends who took us out it was like a very special event. Um, we got dressed up like in kimono and everything. It was a special national holiday. We went to a very <laughs> fancy restaurant and they ordered and they ordered me this huge steak. And I was like, oh, no, like, I don't know how they didn't know that I was vegetarian. But anyway, you know, miscommunication, language issues, whatever. And, um, and so yeah. then I had to, you know, of course, to be polite, you know, I would always try and do that. And so I did, but it was really hard. And also I was in this very tight kimono. And so my stomach was not coping well with this meat and <laughs> to the point where I kind of shuffled some under, like, you know, <laughs> some leftover veggies and things. I tried to do my best. Um, and then I couldn't fit in dessert, which was very yeah. tragic for me. But, um, but yeah, <laughs> in general, I think like that's, I think etiquette is about trying to fit in in general and so yeah uh, obviously if you, it's right. a dietary reason that you're going to be sick by eating something that's a completely different matter but yeah I think it's kind of appropriate mm -hmm. to amend your like own personal ethics to fit in culturally and with yeah good etiquette so I completely agree Tasha although I don't one, think I've done I what you did <laughs> you, you'd be surprised <laughs> you know like in I, a situation I perhaps yeah yeah like I mean like there's things that you wouldn't be like on a menu like mm, I'm gonna have puppy and then some baboon and you know like it's just that that's totally but then somebody like shares with you something that they just like hunted or gathered or prepared it's like you know it's I'm sure you would you're I can tell already you're so sweet and nice like you wouldn't be like ew gross <laughs> I'm so sweet. I would eat puppies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's that, that's the new sweet. So you know what I mean? <laughs> Thank you. One, one that always sticks out to me is how you know the culture of Japan is kind of renowned for its politeness and um, just like how respectful they are of, of everyone. But um, you know what's funny is they slurp their noodles like nobody's yeah. business. 
and sniff when they have a cold <laughs> and it's polite yeah. to do that yeah yeah yeah, and and um, it's it's obviously yeah, it's completely normal. Um, but that really kind of threw me for a loop when I first went there because, I mean, here it's very um impolite to slurp anything. Um, but yeah, if you go get ramen in in Tokyo or anywhere in Japan, uh, you will see that everywhere. Um, don't tell my wife that because now she won't go. <laughs> <laughs> he hates mouth noises. <laughs> but, she might need earplugs for. <laughs> I'll just add also a similar story to, to Tasha. It's not quite as dramatic, but when I was, (laughs) when I was in Turkey, I was getting a um, a tour of this old monastery in Cappadocia and the, the man who oversees this monastery brought me up into this chamber, which is like buried into the cliffside. And he was like, here, here's the holy water. And I was like, wow, it's crazy. There's like this Creek that flows through the, the rock, through the cliff. And he was like, you'll drink it. And I was like, I will. (laughs) And uh, he was like, yeah, yeah, just drink the holy water. And it's, I mean, it's literally just kind of flowing, free flowing water. So, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, all right, I mean, this guy's telling me I got to do it. I'm going to be polite. I'm going to do it. Even though this is just like, who knows where this water originates from, where it went before. It's upstream. (laughs) But hey, it was holy water. (laughs) Get sick. He's alive. So, yeah. 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 Exactly. You just got to, you got to, that is, that is not even a mind, you know, a minuscule part of, of traveling. That is one of the, the great, the greatest parts is just kind of believing in the process and just saying, okay. And I think the more I've been able to embrace situations like that and have those kinds of experiences, the more rewarding and the more fulfilling my travel experiences have been. Right. Yeah. I mean, we're all traveling to, to feel a curiosity, right. And what better way than to dr- dive into foods that are completely foreign to you, unheard of? They don't exist. I thought you were going to say, "What better way than the, the, than to forget all of your ethics that you've grown up with?" <laughs> well, hey, if you got to do that too, no, no judgment. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. Um, yeah, that's why. Any- that's where the saying, like, "When in Rome," that's you know, that's yeah, the that's whole very point. Mm-hmm. A great yeah. point. Yeah. When I was in Cambodia, I ate tarantula for the exact same reason. And it was oh like gosh. cooked. It was served at a restaurant on a banana leaf. You know, it was like. <laughs> How crunchy was it? Crunchy? Yeah. Very, very crunchy. It's, you know, it'd been deep fried. To be totally honest, the taste wasn't really the issue. It was just the mental. Yeah. I imagine, uh, I imagine biting into a bugle. <laughs> yeah. Uh, ruined bugles um, <laughs> that's yeah, accurate I, that's accurate that's accurate <laughs> okay yeah i went uh, i regret not eating bugs in thailand mm-hmm. i got cold feet and i wanted to try them they had like the scorpions on the stick and I think mm-hmm. it was crickets and stuff and I they have those in arizona crickets are great <laughs> i'm a fan of crickets. A lollipop yeah <laughs> one of my friends actually brought me one from her trip to Arizona and I had it and I oh, it's ate it after same. like six months. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I ate the whole scorpion in the middle. I got to it and it took 3,824 licks. Oh, <laughs> I believe that you definitely counted to it. Um, has, does anybody have a story where they did not take the food? Mm. Great yeah. question. Um, but I'm I'm pescatarian, so luckily I kind of have a saving grace when I travel. I don't eat meat, but I'm like, oh, but I'll eat the seafood and I'll eat the fish. But everywhere I go, 
I kind of refuse the meat. And if that happens, I just, um, I just carb load, which I don't really like to do. It's always like <laughs> bread, cheese, or rice. Cause I'm like, great. This is filling, but it's like, I just feel uncomfortably full, but I've, I've been in many situations where I've refused the food, but it's never, um, it's never backfired on me. So, yeah. Right. That's yeah. good to know. It's good to know <laughs> Yeah. that you haven't been kicked out of the country. I have not, not yet. No. <laughs> <laughs> Hoping to never be kicked out of anywhere. That's good. So another, another piece of travel etiquette that I always have issues with is photography I mean, taking pictures of, mm. of landmarks and places is one thing, but when you want to remember the culture, taking pictures of people abroad mm. is, it's hit or miss. It, it is often more polite to ask, but at what point can you just take the picture and not ask if they're 300 feet away? That's a great one. Right. I um, have kind of developed a little bit of a process for this, which is, it's basically the smile test. So if I see somebody and I want to capture them in a video or a photo, I'll basically, especially if it's like at a market, just let's take the example of somebody at a market, they're cooking, they're preparing food or they're performing something. Um, I'll kind of like look at them, give them a big smile. And if they smile back, I'll usually raise up the camera. And I typically find that they have zero issues after that. Okay. Um, I and like that. Just, yeah. Cause you have a lot of experience with taking pictures of people and filming people. <laughs> Yeah. And I've had a lot of people who like, I mean, the camera is a barrier. Uh, absolutely. And when you raise that camera up immediately, people kind of shut down their natural affect. And I do find that like starting without it and just like making a personal connection, even if it's just a smile makes a huge, huge difference. And, um, I mean, I recommend it now. I mean, because it's, everybody knows that phones take pictures. Maybe that wasn't the case like six, seven years ago, but everybody expects the same now. So, you know, even with the phone, if you're trying to just capture, capture what's going on, I would recommend the same thing. And I think it builds up some goodwill because you don't just come in with uh, guns blazing, you know, you kind of show up um, and you, you do show, show them that you're there to kind of try to respect their, their presence by at least acknowledging them first without the camera. Have you had anyone reject your camera? Well, I have had like, there's this place in Turkey, which is, it kind of drives me nuts. It's like one of those Instagram photo spots and it's this rug store. And I'm sure you guys have seen photos of it, but basically if you walk in there with a camera, um, they just immediately start asking you for money or like get, oh. get pretty frustrated because they assume you're just not following the rules and they have posted everywhere. Like, you know, if you want to take pictures, you need to pay and ends up being like maybe 10 mm -hmm. bucks. Um, and, and that kind of frustrates me because, you know, there's perfectly legitimate reasons why you would just have your camera on a camera strap and walk around, but not take photos and be respectful. Um, but you know, that, that's, that's kind of one place that comes to mind immediately. I haven't been in a, many places where, um, they're like hostile to people who are trying to document things. Um, but I mean, it's, it absolutely happens. Uh, I wish I could come up with a better example for you. Well, Tasha, you spent some time in Dar Salaam, correct? No, Tanzania, though. Okay, okay. Um, so the I spent a little bit of time in Dar Salaam, the capital of Tanzania, maybe eight years ago. 
And the reason I ask you this, Ian, is because there was one, we went to a bar for lunch and we were outside, we were taking photos of the bar itself in the city. And one of the females that we were traveling with had her camera out taking pictures and she took a picture with two gentlemen that were in it. And they got really upset that she took the picture. And they were so upset that they were asking her for her camera and they would not back down. It probably took five to 10 minutes to calm the situation down because none of us spoke Swahili and they didn't speak English. So it was very fresh. We were all in a big group though. And I didn't know if I, I think certain cultures definitely have a, or a less threshold for taking photos of them because they feel like they're being exploited. Yeah. Absolutely. I think there's a lot of places where there's like the token local uh, yeah. and um, and those people like literally will sit out somewhere with their local pottery or instrument and and kind of get photos taken of them and, and get tipped. But then there's there's, you know, kind of the flip side, which is there's like people who are just trying to go about their life who yeah. hate being bothered. Yeah. Um, Cusco is a great example of that, Bob. Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> one of our pictures was Bob holding a baby llama with women in traditional yeah. uh, Incan garb. And they literally just walk around the ruins and try to find white Americans <laughs> to yeah, take, take photos photo. with the llama. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then you tip them and then you're like, well, if you hold the llama, we'll tip you more. Right. Yeah. And it pooped on me. It I- did. Oh. You get a refund on your tip for that. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. That's the best part of the trip. <laughs> there is a a something that needs to be said about the difference between taking pictures and having and enjoying yourself, and then yeah, the exploitation of the locals, right? That's that's like a hot topic and not something mm-hmm. that I'm well versed on and can really speak on, but I do know that it's it's something to consider, and you should absolutely, especially if you're going to countries that have these issues look into before you do travel there i this is sort of unrelated but one time i was in a bar and i was traveling the the country i was in the united states and this guy just walked up and he just held his phone like six inches from my face and took a picture of me and walked away (laughs) and i have no he was just drunk but (laughs) i I have no idea why he was just hammered in the bar i think he got kicked out later for doing it to more people but and so, oh. I, 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 like, the next day, I was just like, what? You know, that was awkward to just have someone walk up to you, take yeah. a picture of you as you're hanging out with your friends and and just going on about their day. So I like the smile thing a lot, Ian. I've read before that the smile is virtually, like, you know, a universal gesture. There, mm-hmm. obviously, I, I well, not obviously, but there are certain cultures that don't accept handshakes the same way we do and different mm-hmm. finger signs and pointing and that can vary from <laughs> culture to culture, but smiling across the board seems to be, unless someone can correct me, seems to be the number one thing to do. Like that is the the natural human gesture for I'm not a threat. I'm happy. How are you? Hundred right. percent. Yeah. It's yeah. it's it's Great. just it immediately breaks the barrier, and uh, that's really why I think it's effective. And also, I mean, I typically ha- I'm sh- to shoot a lot of video. So I'm usually not just snapping one photo. I'll be there for a moment and it's like, can be this large um, kind of contraption that I'm holding. And so you just want them to feel a little bit at ease. So anything to kind of make that happen. Yeah. All right. Next topic. 
Next topic. This is going to be an interesting one, I think, uh, especially hearing Amanda's perspective. I want to talk about tipping. Oh. Yes. Mm. Yeah. So oh. <laughs> this is. Can I go? I did twenty percent. No one. No one knows. Do you tip? When do you tip? Now, uh, us Americans, I. Right. We have. How did twenty percent just become customary in this country? No idea. But so so yeah. Why well, is tipping necessary? <laughs> yeah. Just pay them more. Yes. Yeah, yes. it, it we run a whole mean, country over here without any tipping, and it seems like we're still doing okay. Yeah. We're still surviving with no tipping. I love Australia for <laughs> but, that reason. But here's the oh, thing: man. here's the thing. You could offend somebody if you don't tip in a place where tipping is the thing to yes. do. But if so you stressful. tip, but if you tip, even if that's not a, 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 a like normal custom you're probably not going to offend somebody. So I don't think that's I, entirely true, though, because right, I have really? talked to locals in Southeast Asia and, and Japan who do find it offensive because it's like saying, oh, you don't have enough money, so here we're, you know, we're white saviour oh. coming in to give you more. So yeah. you can offend people by tipping inappropriately. I think if you're, the, if you're the token Western traveller and you show up and you're like, trying to just throw out cash to everyone who helps you. There's a little <laughs> bit of that. Like, okay, all right, cool it. Right. Like, white guy, we don't need all your money. I do think if you're like a local <laughs> and you go to a bar all the time and t- tipping isn't customary, but like you leave your bartender a few bucks, like that's probably received differently. Probably. Right. I don't know. I find tipping the most stressful part of traveling because obviously here in Australia, we don't do it ever. Uh, you know, it's just not a, not part of our custom. And so I find it extraordinarily stressful because I don't want to offend anyone. I want to tip an appropriate amount, mm-hmm. but um, and I like there's so much etiquette involved that you guys as Americans probably have, you know, you, yes. you, you know, so much more. You've practiced it so many times. Like I did. I don't even know when in a in a situation like uh, when do you do it? Like in certain times, it's not clear. I remember my mom was actually married <laughs> to an American for a while and she came back. She was living in California, actually near San Diego. And she came back from having her hair cut a few months after she'd moved there. And she came home and her husband said to her, oh, how much did you tip the hairdresser? And she was like, what? Oh, no. Do you have to tip the hairdresser? She had no idea because, like, we don't do that. And he said, you have to go back. It's like the only hairdresser near here. You'll have to go back and do it straight away or they'll never cut your hair again or, you know, like this kind of stuff. So she drove straight back and she put on her best Australian-ness and said, I'm so sorry and here's the tip. But I find it so stressful that I would rather not travel to countries where you have to tip because it's such a tricky part of the whole transaction for me. I mean, I live in the U.S. Yeah. and it, I find it stressful. It is. <laughs> I've actually had a German, I, I traveled with a German uh, guy one time and he actually said, you, you Americans have ruined tipping for the entire world because now everyone <laughs> expects us to tip because you have no idea when to tip. You, have, you, you don't know if you're tipping too much. You don't care. You just do it anyway. Um, and I was like, have we really, that's been weighing on my mind heavy the past year. I'm like, have you really ruined it for everybody? Because now everyone expects any Westerner who has any sort of money to give like at least 20% of a tip. But I've, to Ian's point earlier, I've also found that because I'm American, people just expect the tip from me. Every time I ask a question, take a picture, they do their hand thing where they're like, all right, where is it? And I'm like, what? I just literally asked you a question. I asked you where the palace was. What do you mean? You want like a five dollar tip? I'm sorry, like. I know you um, have it. Yeah, right. I know it's it's really sad Oof. because I'm like, no, I don't. I just that's not me. I don't go around giving tips for every time I ask a question. So it's uh, I think that shows what they think of us, and that happened to me a lot. I think in Southeast Asia, where they were more like, 
all right, hand the tip over. I'm like, yeah. oh, it's frustrating. It is very important to research that like if you are going, if you plan on visiting restaurants, if you're not staying at a little B and B the entire time you're there, where you don't have to think about meals or purchasing anything, you should learn mm -hmm. how to tip in that destination. Mm -hmm. Probably the yeah. research. Amanda, Amanda, to add confusion to the entire tipping process, a lot of it is intuition for me. I <gasps> restaurants is like twenty percent. <laughs> you you know standard across intuition. the board. How can but, I, how can I know, learn intuition? Once you get into <laughs> like a taxi driver and the bellhop and the guy who helps you load things into your car at the right. at, you know Home Depot and stuff, it's just it's really odd. I don't understand Whoa, any of that. You're tipping guys at Home Depot, Bob? If, if it's like really heavy, <laughs> that that's the interesting what? thing. Like I, I did landscaping throughout college <laughs> and I was tipped for my manual labor. Like oh. I got paid a regular wage and then I got tipped and I was like, is this normal? And then, you know, growing up past that, wow. my grandfather used to tip pretty much everyone. And I didn't know when you should tip. Like, do you tip the person that holds the door for you at a hotel? I don't know. Do you tip the person that brings your bags up for you at a hotel? I tip my valet every time. Yeah, yeah. Valet. Do you tip a valet? With the hotel thing, I think that it's like, I think it's appropriate to do a tip at the end. Thank you. Like, you know, like you don't have to tip every time, you know, but I, I actually have a funny story about tipping. Do you want, should I tell you about that? Yeah, yes. <laughs> so I think puppies? I was. Yeah, I, it involved puppies. No, it was, it was, it was, this was, I think I was in Istanbul and um, I was like, you know, stay, like I was there for a couple of weeks and I had a hotel and I was sort of like going to work every day. And um, <laughs> like the woman that was cleaning my room, like was so affectionate with me. Like she was like an older woman and she would like hug me and just like, like I, and, and I was kind of like, this is so nice. Like, I feel like I have an auntie, you know, I don't really like, we weren't really like, I didn't know her language. She didn't know my language, but she would just, every time she would see me in the hallway, she was just, and then I realized that like I had left out like some money that I was trying to like figure out in my exchange and she thought it was a tip and took it. And so she just thought that I was like oh. tipping her this like massive amount of money. So we had this whole relationship that was like fake based on a tip that I didn't even know I gave her. Wow. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yes. I thought we like, I know we were like, like bonding. I've heard some different etiquettes for, for tipping in hotels and, and I'm, I haven't decided where I fall in this, so I'm actually curious what you guys think. But there is some some people are of the frame of mind that you should, uh, particularly if you know housekeeping will come every day, that you should leave a tip every day mm -hmm. because it's a different person. Um, and so, you know, if you do leave like a big tip at the yeah. end, it might just go to the person who happened to clean your room that day, but you were being helped by several other people the day before. Um, so I. I'm I'm curious what you what you guys do at hotels and and I guess I'm not thinking of any particular re region, um, but maybe if you I have a region definitely specific. only tip at the end for hmm. housekeeping. Mm -hmm. I I tip at the end and then how much I tip is again intuition yeah. on how dirty I made the room. If I'm <laughs> if I'm just passing through and <laughs> I crash in the bed and I get up and I'm on my way the next morning and I really didn't touch anything, I'll leave right. a few bucks. 
But if I'm there for a week and they need to can come in throughout my time there, I'll leave more. And again, it's just a judgment because there really isn't any particular number. It's just how generous you want to be and how much money you have. You know, you, you need to obviously tip within your means. And so, yeah. That's... Sorry, is that really what? I find this so hard. So really, but how will they know if I'm tipping within my means? Could they be offended because they think I'm poor? Like there's so many levels to this whole tipping. A lot of people don't tip at all. So even in America. Even so, in America, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm, yeah. I'm one of those. Mm-hmm. I, I seem like a villain now listening to all of you because I almost, there have been, I can count on one hand the amount of times I've tipped at a hotel because I've left it in worse condition than I found it. <laughs> <laughs> and most of the time when I stay at a hotel, I put the do not disturb sign up for the entire stay and they only end up cleaning the last day. And even if it's like a week long. So right. there's uh, there are some people I talk to that expect new towels every day because they're at a hotel. They expect mm-hmm. the bed made every day because they're at a hotel and they want it. And I yeah. don't care for that. I, I would prefer to mm-hmm. let them focus, let the people doing all the cleaning focus on other rooms that people want that because I don't need it. Sure. I'm with you on that. Yep, same. Yeah, same. And I, yeah, I don't need them coming in and out. I'd rather just have my own space for no. that time and then they can clean up at the end. Yeah. That, yep, yeah. Yep. That's, I always that's, tip at the end yeah. only. So. Yeah. I, 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 you haven't helped me at all with my issues with tipping, you guys. <laughs> I feel more confused. Well, it's a crapshoot. <laughs> it is a crapshoot. Do you, tip, do you maybe... tip a dealer at a casino? Oh. I believe you do. Yeah, you do. You do tip you a do. dealer. You do. You're supposed to. Yeah, you're yeah. supposed to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah. do you do it at the so, end or do you do it when you get a big win? Um, I'm just saying. I don't know. There, I'm not a gamer. There are so, there are, <laughs> tipping could last. The conversation on tipping in America alone could last a week. Well, this is how I view it. <laughs> right. And I don't know. This is obviously just me. Um, but if it's a service, if someone's providing you a service in any way, then it's appro- it could be appropriate for you to tip in the United States. So obviously, it's then, not 100%. It could, be. <laughs> it could be. Like, I don't think you need to tip the guy who helps you load a Lomo or into your car at Home Depot. You don't. There's certain jobs job. that... Right, yeah. right. I and mean, I know have this to. then the, the don't get paid <laughs> yeah. enough. But it's an experience thing. Worse, I think so that... I think I think tipping can enhance your experience, especially if you're a repeat customer to whatever it is. Obviously, the more money you give, yeah. the better your experience will be. Like if you go to a bar and you're in a right. crowded bar and you get up, to, you finally get up to the bar and the bartender asks you if you want a drink. If you get that drink and leave them a twenty dollar bill, that bartender, anytime they see you, will beeline it to you and hook you up for the rest of the yes. night. And so, so your you motto, said, so the motto is, is money talks. That's literally what I do. <laughs> That's literally what I do every time I go to a bar. That's, yeah. It's, yeah, I might when I was That's younger, why the world hates us. <laughs> but I mean, so I I would go down to the shore, Jersey Shore, for a week with friends, and when we would get there the first night, we would put a hundred dollar bill on the table. You know, collectively we'd yep. throw up some money. We put a hundred dollar bill on the table for the entire week. We had drinks as soon as yep. we wanted them. And it, it you pay a little bit, but you're paying for a better experience in a way, mm-hmm. right? So now you don't have to mm-hmm. worry about drinks. And so I think when in doubt, tip. And I think 20% for most cases is probably a lot unless it's a restaurant. I, a few bucks usually does it, in my opinion. Yeah. 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 Natasha, like, did you have something you wanted to add? No, I mean, I just I, think that, you know, the, like it, tipping is... Um, you know, for for what I think is like you 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 don't have to you don't have to feel anxiety about it. Like it's it, like people 
um, the people who would get offended will let you know before you stop the exchange. Like they will stand there and wait for you until you give them more. Like they're not going to like mm. go home and cry. They're just going to like, you know but what I mean? That other- it feels confrontational to me. And well, that is confrontational. Yeah. But that part is confrontational and that can be awkward. But in general, if you make an effort to tip in most situations, it's probably okay. Like I, I don't, I, I, I don't really feel like it's been, I mean, I don't really feel like I do like a great job tipping or not a great job tipping, but I don't feel like I've like blown it. You know what I mean? Like I, I feel like it's probably, yeah, there's, But I I understand where, you know, the the anxiety would come from. But I think that if you make a tip, you should just feel okay about it, you know? One last thing I want to talk about tipping is on fishing trips. (laughs) You always tip tip the the captain at the end. No, you tip the captain. You tip the captain at the end, but it's like 50%. Yeah, it's like that if you go on a boat. You tip them fifty percent of the cost of your trip, basically per person. Well, in total catch fish. Wow. <laughs> yeah, if <laughs> to, to bring fish. you to the spot. Yeah, huh? Yeah, there it, it is kind of ridiculous. Now that we're breaking it down, we do have a lot going on. Sorry, Amanda. <laughs> <laughs> you see, it's so hard. I but think in what those Leah situations, says crazy. but in those situations, do do like you know because the boat person told you. Mm that that's part of the, like, I, I, like, I feel like if it's like a big thing like that, somebody tells you like, yes. like, it, like mm-hmm. if I'm going on a boat ride in like, like, a, you know, in a different country or if I'm doing something that's like a, an adventure and it's not like an average tipping thing. Like I'm in, I'm told like you have to give the driver this much more or something. So yeah, I don't think you have to worry about that. Yeah. In my experience with the boats, it's usually they tell you upfront, how much they're expecting yeah as a tip and you so it's you not even really a tip, tip it's the, like the service charge in effect. basically yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah it is very confusing ian what were you saying i was just saying that Le- what leah had mentioned about her german friend who's like you guys oh. ruined tipping for us <laughs> and i i guess it, it never really occurred to me how influential american traveling americans uh tipping etiquette uh, had been on the rest of the world in the travel industry, but it makes total sense and uh, it sucks. <laughs> it does. Yeah, it does stink. You know, back to Tasha's point about um, if you don't want to feel like embarrassed about the amount you're giving this, I lived in Vegas for three years. I always roll up my tip. So I'm like, oh, if I should only be giving, um, if I'm only giving $3 instead of five, you just roll into a little ball and then they can't really say anything if they don't think it's enough. Like, it's like, here you go. Thank you. You always put the biggest bill on the outside when you hand it to them. It's just me handing it. (laughs) Yes, biggest bill on the outside. Roll it in like thirds and like. That's smart. I'm going to use that. Wow. (laughs) I'm going to get some Monopoly money too. Perfect. No, don't do that. Don't do that. (laughs) All right. Bob, are you ready? I'm I'm ready. So this is, it's time for Elliot's hoorah question of the day. (laughs) <laughs> we're still working on that we're figuring that out <laughs> you all should right. sell that sound effect Bob. Yeah. it's it's bob's version of a ham horn mm-hmm. <laughs> so Bob we're going to start we're going to start with amanda and then we're going to move to ian 
then Tasha, then Leah. Amanda, if there is one thing you should not do while in a new country, what would it be? Um, don't go around speaking English all the time, which we've already discussed. And one thing that you should not do, oh, that's hard. Um, uh, I'd like to have something more profound to say, and I just can't. Uh, it can be very. Don't basic. spit out the food. Don't don't um, feel. I mean, actually, I have a. Is this like a lightning round, or can I give a quick story? You can yeah, give a quick story. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, so you've got to try and um, don't sort of screw your nose up at the food. I suppose is what I want to say. Uh, when I was in Japan, I ate a lot of very unusual things. And a lot of them tasted, well, unusual and especially really weird, slimy textures. Like there was, they eat lots of things that are in the sea that I can't even name. I remember one time eating with friends, <laughs> Japanese friends, and they couldn't even name them even in Japanese. They're like, we don't know what this is. Um, but I always tried very hard just to, you know, eat, swallow and try and have a pleasant expression on my face still um, because I think that's... Um, you know, it's very inappropriate to express how you actually sometimes feel about what you're eating. Ian. Well, mine is less of a, like a snafu to avoid and more of a experience enhancer, I suppose. And what I would say is uh, I always try to don't present yourself as a tourist. Um, you know, don't wear cargo pants and a backpack <laughs> and carry around a map. Really try to make a concerted effort to blend in. Um, if, if for no other reason than to have the most authentic experience that you possibly can, because, you know, I think, um, I, I think when you aren't, you know, such a stark contrast to the local people, you have a more integrated experience. And so I, I mean, you know, I, I'm not going to wear a turban if I'm in the Middle East. That's not, that would, be, I think taking it too far, but you know, I'm also not going to uh, wear Lululemon pants and like a Nike t-shirt. And um, would you kinda... wear Lululemon pants in the U S though? <laughs> I do. <laughs> I do. do you? Yeah. Are they comfortable? Very. And I highly recommend them for travel. Yeah. I didn't know they uh, had them for guys to be. Yeah, completely oh, honest. <laughs> your yeah, world is about right. to change and your wallet is about to empty. <laughs> <laughs> Can we get some travelers blueprint? branded Lululemon pants guys. Absolutely. Coming right up. <laughs> Already in production. Yep. Anyway, that's my, that's, that would, that's what I would say. Do not, um, you know, do not present yourself as the, uh, as the tourist. I like it. Tasha. I would say do not be arrogant. You know, I think that, um, do not try to correct somebody doing something that is their way of doing it. Do not like come to see people or teach them this new American thing. Like, you know, obviously exchange is beautiful. And when you have an opportunity to, you know, share your experience and have that. But I think that the number one thing about travel is to be humble and, and to be receptive. And so really checking your arrogance and your mission, you know, not to like take something to people, but rather than, you know, just be open and, and respectful. I like that. 
Leah? I hope you guys can hear me. I'm sorry. We can. Because <laughs> I'm breaking out for my, like, my sound is breaking up. The image is breaking up. I would say very practical. Just don't come in speaking in a very loud North American obnoxious accent. <laughs> kind of, like Tasha said, humble yourself till you've learned a few things. You've done your research. Um, try to observe what others are doing around you. Ask the locals maybe, you know, how things are done. What's polite? What's correct? And um, that would probably be my very first thing is just maybe not talk or act so loudly. All right. Bob, do you have anything to add? In, so in my opinion, one of the worst things you can do when traveling is enter a new country or culture with a preconceived notion of what your experience should be like. I think going back to what Ian said earlier, you should be a sponge in, in everything you do and try and with everyone you meet and everything you see you're there to learn. And, and so just make sure that, you know, kind of check everything at the door and I don't want to say reinvent yourself, but step into that new country almost as a blank slate. And, and I think you'll, you'll have a profound experience every single time. Yeah. And I think to sum it all up, basically don't do a lot of the stuff that you wouldn't do in your own country. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. <clears throat> yeah. All right. Well, no, no Cabo behavior. No, yes. no, no Cabo. Cabo. Or, or for you, for you, Amanda, it would be Bali behavior. I think, right? Ah, got it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. I was on the yeah. translation there. Yeah, Cabo. It's a, uh, it's a Mexican it's an apt it's comparison. Our... Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. That's how I identify Bali. It's, it's uh, Australia's Mexico. Thirteen. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> right yeah. on. All right. Well, well. Thank you, uh, everybody listening. Thank you for listening. Thank you to all of our guests for joining us today. If you're listening to this or watching it on YouTube, subscribe and check out our show notes. All of the links to our guests' websites will be there. Subscribe to their channels. Learn a ton. Learn travel etiquette. I think that's it. Tune in next month. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Well, thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you all for coming back on. This is awesome. Yeah.